how many pictures you can post on Instagram. That's, that was what I was solving. I was making sure that you were where the cool kids were. Okay. I was the solution to your nighttime issues. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we are sitting down with Steve Sims, the founder of Bluefish and the author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Steve is somebody who's definitely making things happen, definitely somebody who can share some very valuable insights on how you can start making things happen, and I'm somebody who I really do look up to and learn from. In this episode, we're going to be diving deep onto the idea of building your credibility, okay? Because there are a lot of people running around, not going to drop any names, but flashing their Lamborghinis, shooting their money guns around, um, and, and just pretending like they, they, they have this lifestyle and selling courses to people on the basis of the fact that they're going to create this lifestyle for you um, in all these different areas, all these different facets. So uh, Steve's going to talk a lot about how to sort of sift through the BS, how to get your message out there and, and stand apart from all of these other, all these other fake gurus out there, how you can develop a good product, solve a real problem and actually market that effectively without having to rely on the flashy techniques of, of renting a Lamborghini for the day, putting on all these facades of what kind of life you're living. So if you're really trying to build a real business from the ground up, solve some real problems um, and make some money in the process, Steve is the person that you want to be listening to. And this podcast episode is going to provide you with the steps and the skills needed for you to execute on that. So without further ado, we're going to welcome Steve Sims onto the podcast. So I want you guys to sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money with Steve Sims. All right, Steve, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm good. Please be here. Thank you. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. So, Steve, our listeners got to hear a bit of an intro to who you are, what you're working on right now over at Bluefish in the intro to this episode. But for those of them that aren't familiar with who you are and what you're doing, can you fill us in a little bit on where you're at right now? Oh, wow. Where I'm at. Um, so, I am the author of uh, that book, Bluefish In. Um, but quite simply, up until two years ago, no one knew who the hell I was. Um, <laughs> I was behind the scenes of some of the most elaborate experiences in the world, sending people down to the Titanic, getting them married in the Vatican, closing down museums for a dinner of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David. If you could think it, more importantly, afford it, I was the guy you called. Um, always been an entrepreneur, always been trying to get into rooms that I wasn't invited to or wasn't allowed to be in. And two years ago, I released a book that quite simply uh, pointed out that if a bricklayer from East London couldn't be doing this without John and Elon Musk, then you're already out of excuses. Um, since then, my life has uh, changed. I would say it's good. Some parts are a bit bad, but um, you know, going from a guy who was very much unknown, which I was very pleased about, now I'm speaking on stages all over the world. I'm private consulting. Uh, I'm doing webinars, you know, private courses online with simsdistillery.com. It's just, it's just gone nuts. Um, <laughs> so to be honest with you, I'm just getting used to it because, you know, you and I would never have spoken two years ago because you didn't know who the hell I was. And I was, I was fine with that. You were fine with it. Um, and now it's kind of like giving me this kind of platform. So I'm trying to use it for the best I possibly can. But like all entrepreneurs, we jump off a cliff and then try to make a, a parachute on the way down. Mm. 
That, that's so, that's so true. Now I'm very fascinated to, to dive deeper into why you decided to make that transition from sort of being behind the scenes to being um, more in the spotlight. But before we do, um, I want to sort of talk about your early upbringing and childhood. Since we do have a younger listener base here. Um, I want to hear about like your middle school, high school years. What was, what was Steve Sims up to in that early time frame? Were you getting into entrepreneurship or not so much? I was getting into trouble. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was, that was entrepreneurship but bracketed with, with trouble. See, bearing in mind, I come from a period, you know, I'm 53 years old now. I come from a period where if you were called a hustler or an entrepreneur, this was a bad thing. You mm. know, I remember being sent to the headmaster's office um, and being called a hustler. And that was a bad thing. Now, if I call you a hustler today, you're going to take that as a compliment because you know how to hustle. You know how to get things done. And I got three kids now and I'm trying to install into them to be a hustler, learn how to find an angle, learn how to find a win-win, you know, analyze the situation, make sure everyone creatively, creatively can benefit from it. Um, but hustler was a bad word. Um, as a young lad with no real kind of entrepreneurial mentorship with no one, that you could look online or look up to, um, I just knew that something was wrong. And my teachers are telling me, it's only right if this is the answer. And I was thinking, well, that can't be the only answer. You know, we can't be, you know, billions of years old and there's only one bloody answer to everything. Surely there's got to be other answers. Um, and of course, having that mindset would get you into trouble. As entrepreneurs, you lose focus, you get tired, you get irritated, you switch off. And I was in a period of my life where that just got me into trouble. Um, and the daft thing is, I literally walked around, couldn't understand why I was getting into trouble. And it was a case of, if I didn't agree with you, how was that my fault? Um, so that's what I was like. So from a very early age, uh, I was unchallenged. Uh, I was unstimulated. Um, I was not paying attention. It was all this kind of like, well, he's got ADD, like it was a vicious disease. And it wasn't until later on in life that I suddenly started going, hang on a minute, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just playing in the wrong sandpit. Hmm. And the good thing is now you can, as, as youngsters, as young minds, and there's young minds and old people, but today we've got the opportunity to be able to look out there and go, I'm listening to Gary V. Does he make sense to me? I'm listening to Cardone. Does he make sense to me? I'm listening to Jim Quick, Lewis Howes, Tim Ferriss, Ryan Long, you know, all of these different people, Steve Sims. And you can make a decision whether or not it resonates with you and turn it up or turn it off. And we didn't have that ability. You know, we've got so much now with, with podcasts, with, with YouTube, with Facebook, with social, where we can hear people's opinion and understand whether or not it triggers something in us. And being a hustler and an entrepreneur is a beautiful thing most of the time. A hundred percent. So talk to us more about when that started to click for you, because I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that feeling of, of feeling like you're in, in the wrong like sandpit or in the wrong like place and you're not finding the answers that, that feel right to you. So when did that start clicking for you and, and, and how, how did that start happening? So I'm a great believer that when you're moving, you're running to something or running away from something. 
those are the only two, two things that when, you, when your foot's hard on the gas, those are the only two things going through your head. And when I was in London, uh, I'm a very primitive thinker. I remember one of these sayings that is common today, you are the combination of your five closest friends. Yep. And I looked at my five friends who were all dysfunctional, drunk British bikers. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's me then. Um, and so I ran two. Um, I found a job that they were doing some internships for in Hong Kong. Uh, I was in London. I'd left school at the age of 15, no college, no high school. Um, cause I was a wasted space. You know, I was a lost cause. Um, but I got this job in Hong Kong. I landed on the Saturday and I was fired on the Tuesday. So that was a short career, but you know, it was beautiful because all of a sudden I'd walked away from anything that was potentially holding me back. And I found that when you've got five people around you and you want steak and everyone wants sushi, what do you have? You know? So I needed to find people that wanted more of what I wanted, which was, I don't know, but I wanted more. So it gave me the chance to get out there. Now, once I'd actually created that massive pattern interrupt in not only my mindset, but also my day-to-day, -day, even in my language, I was now in the middle of Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> It gave me the chance to go, okay, this is all me now. If I fall on my face, ah, it was because I wasn't worth anything in any case. Mm. But if I rise, it's because it's in me. It's because me. It's when someone congratulates me. It's when I put my hand on my back and I smack it. Not the teachers, not my mates, not my parents. It's me. So I put it all on my shoulders and I went, right, okay, let's give it a crack. Let's see what I can do. And... I tried everything. I tried everything from insurance sales, um, working in bars. I ended up being a doorman. Then I ended up planning parties and became a party promoter. And it just, it just literally grew. But what I was trying to do, the underlying context of every one of my actions was to talk to someone that at the time was living the life that I wanted. And so everything I did, Insurance, jewelry, yacht charters, doorman, in a bar, restaurant. It was to be in a, a sand pit with people that I could watch. I was a natural born voyeur. I wanted to watch affluent people. And then it was a case of, okay, I know how they act. Now how can I get them to talk to me? And to get them to talk to me, I needed to be able to tell them where the best clubs were, where the best bars were, where the private parties were. And it just grew from there. But my first original job was just to kind of like sit on the sidelines and go, all right, something's wrong with my life. How's theirs? And I remember seeing a guy once. I don't even know what club I was in. But the girl came up and nice guy. I, you can always tell a lot about the way people handle waiters and waitresses and anyone that's service related. He put the credit card on her, on her like little fold out thing on her tray. And he said, add 15% for yourself. And uh, she went, oh, thank you very much. She's like, no, it's been wonderful tonight. Thank you. So he had eye contact with her, but never once looked at the bill. Now, we know as being sensible, you should always look over the bill. But the guy was with friends, he was in his zone, he was in his night, he was courteous to the people looking after him, and he didn't care. And that was at a moment in time where I could tell you to the penny what credit I had left on a credit card 
just so that I went into, when I went into the grocery store or into the you know, cheap-ass restaurant down the road, I know I wouldn't order something that would cause my card to go ding, ding. So seeing that guy put that down and not care, I knew straight away then I wanted to be in a world where I could put a credit card down and it wouldn't decline. Hmm. So what, what did you do as a result of having that goal? You're, you're, you're realizing that I want to be in the position that this guy is in. What actions did you start taking? Like what changed in your life as a result of that decision? So I wanted, I wanted to give you a reason to talk to me, just like you're talking to me now. You know, two years ago, you wouldn't uh, because you didn't know who I was. You didn't know there was a book. You didn't know anything about me. So there was no reason for you to communicate with me. Let's be completely blunt. If me and you bumped into each other in the street back then, I doubt very much you would have stood in front of me and go, hey, how are you? You look interesting. Let's have a chat. You'd have probably crossed the road or something. Um, I am aware that I don't have a warm, fuzzy exterior. Um, I am aware of that. Um, but um, that's fine. Um, so when I was actually thinking, okay, I need to make the transition from watching to being in, I needed to give something to these people. So tailors always have big conversations with their clients. I can't stitch or sew. Um, your hairdressers always end up getting into relationships with their clients. So I needed to find something, a way of being able to get these people to want to talk to me. Because once they wanted to talk to me, I could then ask them questions. And I wanted to be in a situation where I could go, so what do you do? How did you get into that? Why is that? Great. Any openings? My whole idea was to actually get in communication with people and ask them for a job. That was my goal. Now, to give them something they wanted, they were in clubs and they liked clubs. I, as the doorman of clubs, I knew where all the new nightclubs were. So I made sure that every time a new nightclub opened up, my list of 10 clients always got invited. That list then grew to 50, grew to 100. Then I thought, well, hang on a minute. Why don't I throw my own parties? All of a sudden, people are coming to me going, Steve, you know, can I bring four of my friends? And I'm like, all right, as a favor to you, Johnny, you know, and I became a party promoter. Um, then I was taking over yachts and mansions and penthouses. And then people were saying, hey, I'm going to Monaco. Can you get me in with the Ferrari Formula One team? Or I'm going to Paris. Can you get me into the fashion week? So I started to get to know people in these things. So that I became the guy that can, you know, it was, you know, in the old, I say in the old days, but even now you need, you need to know a man that can, I was the man that can, um, and Hollywood's full of them. And I was that guy in Asia and I was the guy in Europe. And now I'm that guy in, in Los Angeles. People need something. They know someone they call Steve Sims. Now, the funny thing was I started making a lot of money from this. Never, ever got to that bit where I would be like, hey, can you give me a job? Because without realizing it, I'd actually created my own. And we didn't know what it was. And then people were saying, oh, I'm, you know, I was working with jewelry companies. I was throwing these massive um, parties for hugely affluent people in Macau, Bangkok, Japan, Tokyo, um, Stad, London. And then they would go, oh, yeah, we got this line of jewelry coming out. And then I got interested in marketing. So how are you going to position it? And they would tell me how they're going to position it. And I'd be like, why don't you do this? Some of them would listen. Some of them wouldn't. Sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. 
And so I started learning about marketing and the human nature. Yeah, you, if, if, here's the thing. If I tell you this penny is going out of stock and no longer will you ever be able to get it, you're going to have a natural desire that wants you to have this pen. If I make it in chrome and shiny as hell and stick Apple on the, work, on the side of the damn thing, well, I can sell you that for a thousand bucks. It'll never work, but you've still bought it for a thousand bucks. So that's the way of, of, of people. I discovered that I had a great position, a great soapbox in which to watch people, then get them to want to communicate with me, then enabled me to be able to provide to them what they wanted. I've always had a great belief in solve, don't sell. They needed a solution. They needed something that was cool to do that night, and I was the solution. Um, and then before you knew it, I was getting into marketing and branding and just getting into anything that by this time, my hustle allowed me to be excited to be in. So when it came to invoicing, no one likes bloody invoicing, okay? Get someone to do your invoicing. No one likes chasing money. Get someone to chase money. So I ended up focusing on what I was good at and ignoring the rest. Hmm. Oh man, there's so many, there's so much value you just dropped there that I really want to dive into. Um, the, the first thing that, that, I, that you mentioned that I want to dive a little bit deeper into is the idea of solving, not selling. So I see a lot of young entrepreneurs kind of going at this, in my view, backwards, where they, they develop some product and try to figure out how to sell it rather than finding a problem and figuring out how to solve it. So can you talk a little bit more about that process? Oh, absolutely. When was the last time you saw a pack of headache tablets in a beautiful box? <laughs> oh, never. You, you never do. Why? Because they solve a problem. When you can solve a problem, it doesn't, give a, it doesn't matter shit what it looks like. Okay? If you can solve, people are going to buy it. No one cares. So, you know, but if you want to go and buy jewelry or a handbag, it comes in a box and it comes in a pile of stuff that you're never going to keep. You're going to discard. So it's one of those situations where you want to focus on what problem are you solving? For me, I was solving nightlife. I was solving your social status. I was solving... Um, how many pictures you can post on Instagram. That's, that was what I was solving. I was making sure that you were where the cool kids were, okay? I was the solution to your nighttime issues. So there's a lot of people out there that think they have the idea and it, it doesn't matter on the age, okay? You can solve someone's problem at the age of 12, okay? Absolutely, if you've got a solution, you've got the solution. If you give me a tablet, which means I've never got to shave my head ever again, and you're nine years old and you invented that, do you think I give a damn how old you are? No, because you've given me a solution. So there's a lot of young entrepreneurs out there doing the same, same old mistakes. And I won't mention names. God, I want to. But there's these young guys that are walking up there, they're collecting all that money with them and their friends. They're renting a yellow Lamborghini. They're leaning up against that. And they're all kind of like, I may be 18, but I know the solutions to the life. I can make it. You want this car? Buy my course. You know, we all know these people. Okay. Oh, yeah. Or they'll do it. I actually saw someone It did make me pee myself. Um, I was in Beverly Hills. These guys were videoing themselves leaning against this car in a car park guy that owns the car came down, started yelling at them, and they just scuttled, you know? 
And it just made me roar. Um, but that's what we're in now. We're in a situation where they're trying to put a pretty box around the headache tablet. If you've got a real solution, you don't need anything pretty around it. You don't need any hot girls walking around. You don't need to be seen there that kind of like, you know, dressed up and dripping in uh, fake watches and, and a car you don't own. You need to know what you're talking about. Regardless of age, that's irrelevant. If you've sussed it, if you've got the cure, then you've got a product and service that someone will buy. You bring out, you bring out a tablet, I've never got a shave again, I'm buying that. You know, so look at what, whatever you're planning today, whatever you're doing today, what problem am I solving? Those are the people that are going to make the real money. The people, the floaters, the little shiny floaters that are trying to build up a product to make a bit of cash, you're, you're right. You're going ass backwards. If you solve someone's problem, they will stick with you. Now, there's a big word at the moment that's dying, um, loyalty. Now, people are going for convenience over loyalty. You may love Levi jeans, okay? But if, there's a, if, if a jean store opens up next door to your house, you know, and it's the same price, and it's the same kind of jean, you forgot the name of Levi, okay? Because you're going for convenience. Look at all these people now. They're, they're buying everything on, like, um, Grubhub and, and all these kind of, like, doormate and all these kind of stuff. It still turns up your bloody house cold, but you're going for convenience over quality, okay? And that's what people are doing now. I still believe if I give you more than what you asked for and I solve a problem, I become the who in your why or how, and that builds up a tribe, that builds up a community, and that builds up loyalty. You can't pay your bar tab with Facebook likes, but you can pay for your mortgage on loyalty all day long. Mm. That's, that's so massive. Now, uh, a question that I have since, since we're talking about all these like fake gurus running around selling courses and, and flashing Lamborghinis, like for, for the listener who has a real solution to a real problem in the market and wants to show that to people, like how... I mean, you said you got pretty into marketing. So like, how should they think about their marketing efforts without relying on all these like flashy tactics? Like, like what should they be focusing on and where should they actually be spending their time? Um, asking questions. Um, the beautiful thing about now is that we can do so much very, very easy market research within seconds. I can, I can come up with an idea, post it out of my tribe, and know whether or not it's, it's worth it or not. Now, this, this is free of charge, and so it's not a pitch. We don't make any money out of it. But we have a Facebook group called the Entrepreneur's Advantage, and we go in there and we talk about different things. Anyone out there should find groups that they assimilate to, that they find mentorship from, they find kinship. But these are beautiful locations to actually go in there and say, hey, I've got a, uh, a product or I've got a service that can make you younger, that can make you smarter, that can mean that your, your emails are automatically answered in a personalized time, whatever. 
is this of interest to anybody else? Now, if you get into groups, now you may not have a big Facebook following, okay? So that's why you get into groups. Get into these groups and go, look, I'm developing or I'm working on a product to do X, Y, Z regarding automation. Would this solve someone's problem? You post that in a group and it's the amount, the amount of people that go, do you know that's fantastic? You know, I've got that problem. You can even go forward and go, how many people hate answering the phone? How many people hate answering their emails? How many people wish that without you thinking about it, every one of your clients got a birthday card handwritten? Yeah, all of these different things. And then you can say, I've got a solution for that. Would that be of interest? You can do market research within a day and know whether or not you should be focusing on that product. Mm. I, I mean, the fact that you brought up Facebook groups is really, really key because I just started my own Facebook group like a week ago and I've already gotten so much traffic, like so much engagement. And it's just crazy to see the power of, of even posting in other people's groups. I posted in, um, there's a ClickFunnels group that's got like 200,000 people in it. And I made a post in there like a week or two ago that got over 350 comments on it, like hundreds of likes and just so many leads for my business. It was crazy. Like I had no, and it was, it was a post that took me like 10, 15 minutes to write. And there's just so much power in these groups, even if it's not your own tribe, like leveraging other people's tribes to yeah, test your idea and to, to put a solution out there and just like ask people how they feel about it. Would they use it? What do they think about it? There's just, there's so much power in that, that I'm only just beginning to realize now that I've like gotten a little bit deeper into Facebook groups. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. There's um Facebook groups are, are brilliant for, for so many, um, for so many reasons. There's a, a gentleman by the name of, um, Arnie Disk, who's a friend of mine. He's got the largest millennial Facebook community out there. Wow. Uh, he also started a fantastic program called Group Funnels, which helps you as the moderator and admin of the group um, collect data. And that data can therefore be used to be analyzed to make sure that you're feeding the group the information it requires in the format it likes. Um, so he's a very, very sharp guy. He was the guy that helped me with my, with my Facebook group. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in um, getting to other people's sandpit and ask questions. Don't do the Nirvana. Um, and uh, I don't know if you even remember the uh, um, smell, uh, <coughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit, but the famous Nirvana tune, he says, uh, here we are now, entertain us, okay? And there's a big, big ego attitude, and that still exists wherever you go. The big wig of the house turns up and thinks, I'm here now, dazzle me, entertain me, you know? Don't be the Nirvana. When you turn up at a group, engage, comment, uh, put your effort in. Get people to realize that you're not a, a wallflower, that you do have something to say, even something to ask, even something to challenge. Someone will do something and I will contact them and I'll go, why'd you do that? I, I would have thought to have done this, but you didn't. You did this. Why did you do it? You'll be amazed that sometimes whether I go, well, because of this, 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 and you can go, I didn't see that. Thank you so much. Or they turn around and go, do you know, no one's ever asked me why. Thank you for that. I'm not going to do it. Either way, you win from that conversation. Mm.
That's, that's so true. Now, I want to bounce back to one of the things that you mentioned early on in the podcast, which was that you're now uh, sort of stepping more out into the spotlight and really making a name for yourself on social media with your book, with all these different outlets. What, what led you to do that? And what led you to sort of step out from, from where you were at before into this place? I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> no, the truth of the fact is I didn't want to. Um, I've been on, God, you know, 200 plus TV shows and publications. And it was always because of my luxury business. Mm. Um, and of course, like the, the world of luxury and, you know, billionaire clients. And then there's, cause I don't have a car. I turn up everywhere on a motorbike. So this kind of quirky owner of the company was, was good media. Um, so I appeared in a lot of places and I got offered to, I got offered a, a rather lucrative contract to write a book. And they said, Hey, will you write the book based on, you know, the famous and, and, uh, you know, royalty and all these rich people that you deal with on how they spend their money, what they get up to and what they do. And I said, no, if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. You know, I, I, I can't talk about my clients. Um, and then I did a speech at an entrepreneurial event on, you know, how to market, how to, you know, speak people, how to stand out, niche marketing, all that kind of stuff, you know, list testing and Someone apparently saw it and reported it back to the publishing house and the publishing house contacted me and they said, hang on, we've got a change here. Um, instead of you writing the book on who you do this for, can you write the book on how you do this? How does a guy from London, East London, with not even two pound in his pocket, suddenly know cell phone numbers for royalty? You know, how, how can you possibly do that? And I thought to myself at the time that in a world of AI, in a world of uh, loss of connectivity, where we are losing the ability to look each other in the eye, you want to look like a weirdo, walk into a coffee shop now, order a coffee. When you're stood by the barista waiting for your coffee, turn around to the person next to you and have a conversation. You know, turn around to them and go, Hey, how you doing? Nice shoes. Or, hey, how's your day going? And I'll guarantee you they are looking in their phone and they'll look at you like you've got 15 heads and they're all pussing out. And they're just kind of like, you're a freak. Why are you a freak? Because a human being, you're trying to connect with another human being. So what do we do? Instead, we order our coffee. We stand next to the lineup in Starbucks. We pull out our phone, head down. That's what we do. So... This was pissing me off. I've also got kids that are being raised on the insta-perfect world that doesn't exist. You know, these twats, these idiots I told you about that are leaning up against cars they don't own, you know, firing off money guns, which are just bloody counterfeit, printed off cash, <laughs> trying to act as though they're cool. And it's the shiny fake over the real substance. And the funny thing was, the book suddenly gave me a pedestal to be able to get angry and correct people. Mm. And so I thought to myself, and I, I, I did get paid well. And I thought to myself, if it sells any books at all, great. You know, I've already been paid. Um, if it doesn't sell, I've already been paid. So my liability was zero. I already had my upside. I'd got paid. So it enabled me to write a book and just, I hate to use the word, keep it real, 
but just really tell you what pisses me off. Really say, hey, while you're looking at these like 60,000 CRM uh, um, systems, focus on the bloody client. You know, rather than you worrying about your funnels, rather than you worrying about your sequence logs and your copy, try phoning up a client that's giving you any money and asking them point blank, why did you give me money? How many of you guys out there, guys and gals, have ever phoned up your clients and gone, hey, thanks for jumping on the line. I wanted to ask you one question. Why did you send me your money? You ask that to a bunch of people and they go, oh my God, I never did that. Who am I trying to attract? Who is a better person to speak to about marketing than someone that I don't know from Delaware that I did a Facebook ad to? Or to someone that spent me, sent me 500 bucks? Because that guy from 500 bucks, I say to him, why did you send me money? Well, you know, I liked your approach. I like this. I like that. I like this. That was a little bit, that kind of bothered me a little bit. But that was really good. And you can go, thank you so much. You know, say thank you to them. Send them a bottle of wine or whatever, or do whatever you do. Do it a bit more so they get some value out. But now you've got some good education on what made that person send you money. Personally, I want to market to people that like me and want to send me money. Not, not people in Idaho that have never heard of me. So the book came out. I was able to start trying to correct people that I hoped would correct my kids. I wanted to take the focus off of the shiny flake, you know, uh, Insta gurus onto the substance. If I'm going to listen to someone about making a million dollars, I want to listen to a guy that's made a million dollars, lost it, and then made two. That's the guy I want to deal with. Because anyone can make a million dollars. Once you've lost it, that's the real trick on how to be able to get it back. That shows the person's actually got the lessons. Anyone can make a one-hit wonder. Anyone can make a fluke. But I want to know the person that's been up and down, up and down, you know, kicked around the curb a few times. So the book I brought out really is just my way of going, hey, stop focusing on the shit that doesn't matter. Start focusing on how to communicate, how to connect, how to build loyalty, how to build a tribe, stand for what you mean, build up your substance, build up credibility, and don't give a shit what color your Lamborghini is. Um, the book came out, and I think the first month it did like 500 copies. And I remember phoning up my publishing house, and I went, well, how would it do? And they went 500 copies. At the time, I had 16 followers on Instagram. And they were like, You're gonna fo- you need to focus on your social. And I'm like, nah, I can't be bothered. You know, who's going to bloody listen to me? So I started posting some stupid stuff. Uh, you know, I'd see something stupid. I'll take a picture of it and I'll go, this is stupid. Why is it stupid? And, you know, some people would be like, well, I, I don't know why. And I'd be like, because it's not speaking to your audience. You know, it's speaking at your audience. Big difference. And I would just start doing things that I thought. Um, and then the following month again was another five, uh, no, 400. So we were less than a thousand in two months. And I was thinking, ooh, that, that, this isn't, I don't think I'm going to be the next JK Rowling. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be the next uh, uh, um, Tennessee or whatever. But uh, 900 books isn't exactly setting the world alight. And then the following month, we did 14,000. In, uh, in one month, and then it's hockey stick from there. It came out on an audio book uh, this week, um, or I don't know when you're releasing it, but very close to when this is released, um, the 
the book has actually just got picked up to be translated and sold in Russia for 2020. It's, uh, I got the cover, which I think is the coolest cover so far. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll share it with you. But um, I got, uh, uh, it's been released in Japan, and that cover is awesome. Uh, it's released in Mandarin, Chinese, uh, Korean, Thai, Vietnamese. So it's been going all over the world. And then people have been asking me, do I consult? And of course, I was consulting beforehand. So that's been nothing new. Um, so I'm now doing private consulting through my, my speakeasy community. And the stages, you know, I had a couple of people contact me going, hey, do you do speeches? And I'd always done speeches before, as I say, in the luxury world. Um, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I do. And um, they were like, great, you know, we want you to speak at this event and this event and this event. And all of a sudden, I'm literally just flying literally around the world, um, speaking to entrepreneurs, real estate agents, mortgage agents, loan officers, uh, yacht charter groups, millennials, um, uh, entrepreneurial societies, um, board meetings. Um, so it's just, it's just taken off. Um, I don't, I don't like the limelight. Uh, I'm not that kind of guy. Um, I want to stand in the corner and have a drink of whiskey and just talk to someone rather than kind of like shake hands with a million people. So that I find a little bit hard getting off the stage and suddenly having to do a, a whole bunch of selfies. I realize it's there for the business. I realize it's good for the brand. Um, but that I, that I said to you earlier is the kind of side that I don't really like about it. But if I can shake someone up and maybe kick them a little bit in the shins and get them to change that perspective and to change the angle at which they're going, uh, to be more responsive, to build loyalty, which in turn builds capital. If you notice, everything I've said, none of it has mentioned cash. You focus on all those things, the capital comes up. Um, and it does, it follows. It's like, you put, it's like you put your finger in the water and you go quickly to the left, there's a current that follows you, okay? So if you can do that with your business and if you can lead with people going, Steve Sims, yeah, he's an ugly, quirky-looking thing with a funny accent, but boy, he gets shit done, you know? That will drag people along going, well, I can do with the quirky and the stuff. Hell, you know, Instagram, I can make myself look like Brad Pitt in a second. But that credibility is impossible to pretend to have. So that's, that's what I focus on. So that's... That's where I am now. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I like to challenge people, kind of shake them a little bit. Um, but I very, very much am enjoying the new challenges with the new entrepreneurs that we're seeing around. And getting the chance to speak to you guys. You know, if there's one person out there that's going to turn around and go, well, fuck it, I'm not going to bother worrying about this. I'm going to focus on where I should be focusing on. Then I've done my job. Mm. 100% man and, and credibility is just it's so I'm realizing more and more that it's just so important because your name is is such a valuable asset and you really only have one chance like there are some guys that that really really have screwed up their name and at this point like it's going to be really tough for them to, to bounce back from that and to, to really do anything because their entire reputation is is just trashed and one thing that you mentioned earlier on in the podcast and, and it seems to be a recurring theme is um you you being accountable for your actions and just taking like responsibility because like like you said when you when you left the UK 
you said like, it's on me if I succeed, it's on me if I fail, like everything is, is on my shoulders. And that's not something that I'm seeing a lot of from especially like my generation. So talk to like the 16, 17, 18 year old about that idea of, of being accountable to yourself and uh, taking responsibility for what happens to you. It's a tough one and you've got a tough one, fellas. Um, you know, I've, as I say, I've got kids and you know, I lived in East London as a bricklayer. My first ever takeaway food was when I was 18. So we never had a lot of capital, um, never had a lot of money. So it was a different kind of world. And of course, now I've got kids, you try to protect them from that, you know, that, that kind of hardship, mm -hmm. but without realizing that you're actually taking some of the lessons that you learned away. Now, I remember I needed some extra money and I was a bricklayer. My dad was a bricklayer. So every summer I'd work as a bricklayer. And this guy around the corner from my house wanted this tiny little wall built in front of his house. And so I went over there and I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And I gave him a price. And I went back to my dad and I said, yeah, he's going to let me build his wall and I get paid this amount of money. He gave me half of it. I'm like, look at it. You know, like when you're young, you get a hundred bucks and you go, look at this, you know? And so I was all excited. And, you know, I started ordering the bricks and the materials and stuff like that. And I realized, and I don't know the exact number, but I realized I had actually charged him two thirds of what it was going to cost me to actually build the wall let alone the profit for me actually doing it. So basically I had charged him half what I should have done. So in buying all the materials and getting it all set up, I went to my dad and I'm like, dad, 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 you know, I've, 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 I've undercharged him. You know, it should have been double that. You know, I'm a third under on the cost of goods, you know, and stuff like that. I'm out of pocket here, dad. So how should I go and tell him? How should I tell him that he owes me more money? And how should... My dad just sat there and waited until I finished. And he turned around and said, you don't. And I said, what do you mean I don't? He said, you can make more money, but you'll never make your word back. He said, you told the guy it was going to cost him this much for a wall. That's how much you're going to do the wall for. And he said, you just learned how to get your accounting right. And I, and I, I built that wall, realizing that every brick I was laying was teaching me that I didn't know how to do accounting properly. And so as I got older, I suddenly realized because of that, now here's the funny thing. The guy loved his wall. I was immature and a bit bitter. So I was like, yeah, great. You know, glad you like it. You know, inside thinking, shit, I lost that. He gave me a little tip, which still didn't cover everything. But I'm like, cheers. Then he recommended me to two other people. Now those other people, I was able to pad the price up to break even. And I realized it was because of my credibility. I run an event now called a speakeasy. And I run these speakeasies, which are my private masterminds, capping off of 40 people, and they're $2,000 for a two-day event, okay? No more information than that is ever provided. And they sell out every single time. Why? Because I have the credibility that I'm going to bring amazing people to the event. I have the credibility that I'm going to get you in a room with amazing people, and I'm going to put you in rooms that you never thought you'd ever be in. So I've got that credibility. How much would someone pay for that? 
I've realized as I've got older, my biggest asset is not my stunning good looks. It's my credibility. And that has been what's got me through every single time. And that's the difference in this world of substance. You talk about the guy, the guys that have said stuff. I screw up. I make mistakes. I get things wrong. Why? Because I'm this weird thing called a human being. We buy computers and cars with these guarantees and warranties. Okay? If you bought a car with the warranty of a human being, it's going to fail. You don't know if it's going to work that right. Some days it'll be in a mood. Some days it may just not even turn on, you know? We wouldn't buy it, but that's what we are. We're human beings. We're those weird little things that don't have a warranty. So I make mistakes, but the beautiful thing about it is if you've got credibility, you can go, ah, I screwed up there. If it's money, you turn around and go, well, I told you it was going to be 10 grand, so I'm not going to screw up there as well. It is 10 grand, you know, and you still got the credibility. So I'm a great believer in focus on your substance. Don't focus on branding. Focus on your substance. Focus on what you stand for. The brand will come. The credibility will come. And it won't come after like 30 Instagram postings. You know, it'll come when you've built up some value and some loyalty and a tribe. But once you've got it, that's when that stroke in your hand through a water and that all that fuzz follows you. That's what you're trying to go for, for the end goal. Mm. 100%. Steve, you've been dropping so much value in this episode. I'm extremely grateful for you. Um, I have some questions that I do like to ask all of my guests. So are you ready for those? I'll keep them short. Awesome. So the first thing that I'm curious about is what is something that genuinely has Steve Sims excited right now? Um, my consulting and my speakeasies. I like seeing people changing for the better. Mm. 100%. Do you have any habits that have served you particularly well, either in your business or your lifestyle? Yeah, don't have habits. I try to try a million different things. I've got a common non-habit that no matter what restaurant I'm at, I'll always order something off of the starters that I've never had before or just sounds weird because I can't tell you whether or not I like it or not until I've tried it. Hmm, I like that. I like that a lot. So days are pretty inconsistent. There's no like standard routine. I wake up, I feed the dogs, um, and then I just kind of, okay, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I live off the calendar, but I try to do something in there that's a little bit uh, exciting or unexpected or something that's just pure pleasure for me. Hmm. I like that a lot. That's, that's the opposite answer that I get from most guests, so, so it's refreshing. Yeah, I wear yellow socks and I comb my hair to the left every single day. No, it's not me. Oh, man. All right, Steve. Well, again, I'm super grateful for, for you. Where can our listeners go to follow up with you, learn more about what you're working on right now, and uh, get in the loop with what you're talking about? So if you're in America, you can actually text the word SIMS, that's S-I-M-S, to 33777. That's SIMS, S-I-M-S, 33777. Or you can visit stevedsims.com, sign up for the newsletters, and you'll actually get the PDF cheat sheet of Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen. And on there, you can find out about my speakeasies, the SIMS distillery, which is my online course, uh, the speakeasy events, and a whole host of things. But I just like to think of something, scream it, stick it in a video, and send it to you. So there's a lot of free garbage you're going to be getting from me if you go on there and subscribe. I do love free garbage, so I'm definitely going to have to hop over there and do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Oh, and don't forget, don't forget to join the entrepreneurs an entrepreneur's advantage on the Facebook group because it's free and there's a lot of powerful people in there you should be talking to. Awesome. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes as well for our listeners so they can find that as easily as possible. Steve, again, super grateful for you and your time. Do you have any last parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to leave the listeners with here today? Yeah. My dad was a big, thick-headed Irish guy. <laughs> and one day when I was about 14, 13, 14 years old, we're walking down the road. He's smoking cigarettes. He's probably on about his 300th for the day. And he turned around to me for no reason. I would still never known why. And he turned around to me and he said, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. And then he took his hand off my shoulder and carried on walking. The age of 13 and 14, I was like, what the hell's that? But it's always stayed with me. We all fall in the water, but it's your decision, yours alone, whether or not you stay there and drown. Mm, that's powerful. Steve, thank you so much for your time, man. I, I really do appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, bud. Well, y'all, that is a wrap. That's another episode of Young Smart Money in the Books. If you guys enjoyed this episode, I got two quick asks of you really quick. The first of which is if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, that would mean the absolute world to me. We're closing in on 200 reviews right now. Um, I read each and every one of those. And if you uh, screenshot it, tag me in your Instagram story, I will be sure to repost that as well. The second thing that I want to ask you is if you guys are interested in starting your own podcast, okay, learning how I was able to take Young Smart Money from the ground up, turn it into a top 100 business podcast in a few short months. I put together this free training that I'm, I'm giving away to people, basically teaching you the secrets to podcasting, the stuff that other people aren't really talking about. Like you can find videos online of like the best podcasting setup or like the best podcasting gear, but no one's really talking about how to land big guests, how to network with influencers, how to actually monetize your show. So I want to put together a free training uh, for that. If you guys are interested, the link will be in the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, you can go to applecrater.com slash podcast. That's applecrater.com slash podcast and check out that absolutely free training that I put together for y'all to uh, get yourself educated in the world of podcasting because that's something that I'm really passionate about so I want to teach others but guys that's gonna wrap it up for the show don't want to waste too much of your time I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day wherever it leads you and I'm glad you chose to spend this last hour here on Young Smart Money